The music is provided by Calvary Quartet. You can have more of their music at calvaryquartet.com or log on to our website at gospelbaptistchurch.com. I can still recall the day when Jesus saved my soul, when His blessed Holy Spirit came and took control. I trusted in His precious blood, my sin to atone. Try to try to, by the grace of God, direct your attention to the book of Genesis, specifically with verse 21, which I'm going to hopefully make a little clearer today than maybe before. Most of you have been in Sunday school. You have been taught the Genesis story, the days of creation, man being put in the garden of Eden, its beauty probably never seen by human eye because it's not in existence. In fact, after man fell and was driven out of the garden, an angel was put there with a sword, a flaming sword that went in all four directions to keep them from eating the tree of life and living forever in that condition. And the longer I live, the more I say, Amen. Amen. Adam and Eve have been given a perfect start. They had perfect home. They had a perfect father. They had a perfect job. They were supposed to till the garden, take care of the flowers with no mosquitoes, no little of those little uh, caterpillars that will literally just devour your stuff. No white flies. Um, no root mites. This may be a little loud. Just pull me down just a little bit, son. Um, they, they were in a uh, temperature environment that was always just right, which I know is not possible here in, at Gospel. Some of you are fanning, it's too hot. Some of you are chilly, it's too cold. And one or two of you are comfortable. But that won't last. But they had, they had everything going for them. But I, I, I said in my Sunday school lesson, I think it was similar probably to what we see in the book of Job, the first two chapters, where Satan came in among the throne of God and challenged him around with Adam and Eve. said, you know, the reason they serve you and the reason that they want to do your will and the reason everything is going good is because you have just surrounded them and taken care of them in every way. You let me, you let me talk to Eve. And you let me go down there and, and, and uh, talk to her and, and she'll, she'll disobey you. The greatest opportunity of all time was blown 
when Adam and Eve sinned against God. Adam had been given the responsibility over the garden and obedience to simply implement the instructions that God had given him, which were reasonable instructions. But he failed. Notice I'm not talking about Eve, because I like what Truman said, and I went to the Truman Library, and on his desk is a sign that says, the buck stops here. Leadership. And Adam failed in his supervision. He should have known where she was. He should have not let her go shopping without him. Man. He failed in implementation of the commands of God. He probably did not and could not have fully realized how could he, how deep the accountability was, how long the, the children that he was to have after him would suffer. He could not see the tens of thousands, gave millions of broken lives that his decision cost. The crushed emotions, the anguish, the pain, the suffering, the agony, the cruelty, the lying, the cheating, the abuse, the murders, the wars, the backbiting, the oppressions, the agony of life due to the fall and specifically due to his failure. But you know what? God could see it. God the Father could see it, and he could feel it. And God understood those impl implications. And I believe God at the fall of Adam was grieved beyond words to explain that we could not understand. Even to the place in just a thousand or so years after the fall in Genesis chapter 6, verse 6, God said it repented, it says it repented the Lord, as Jehovah, that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. What in the world did it take for God, who loved man and loves you, to get to the place where he said, I regret that I made him. I disobeyed as a young man. My mom and dad, for about four or five years, was in rebellion. Many of you were in the 60s there, and I remember a time when my mother said that she was sorry she birthed me. Some of you could say, oh, you know, I remember my mother saying that too. You, that's pretty bad. That's pretty bad when you have heard them to the place where they said it had been better had you never been born. But I believe that's where God was. I believe God's heart was broken at the fall. No one could have felt that the cutting anguish in this room, nobody that's lost a son or a daughter under, 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 under horrible circumstances even understands the depth that God felt when Adam sinned against him and rebelled against him. For God keeps his word. He's a God of truth and without iniquity, just and right is he. He, he cannot lie. He cannot stretch it. He cannot make exceptions. It's truth, the very nature of truth is it's unchangeable. And he said that the day you eat of that fruit, you shall die. It had to be. 
God's heart was broken. And I believe when God pronounced a curse upon uh, uh, Adam and upon Eve and eventually even upon the serpent, that his eyes surely were blurred with tears. Tears of sorrow, tears of grief. But not just for them. Because before the foundation of the world, twice in the New Testament it says it was determined that the Son would come and, and die substitutionarily or vicariously for mankind so that some could be saved. And so God the Father knew when Adam fell that it was not just Adam that would die and Eve that would die and all the sin and, and sorrow that would run down and cascade through their children. But indeed, His only begotten Son would someday have to die for any of them to be saved. Because justice, and God is just, has to be served. Sin must be paid for. If not, it will corrode and corrupt the very nature of truth and the very nature of right, and that's just not possible to do. God cannot condone sin. He cannot sympathize with it. He cannot pacify it. He cannot make light of the breaking of the law. 1 John chapter 3, New Testament, verse 4. It says, whosoever committed transgression, whosoever, uh, I'll, I'll get this right. Whosoever committed sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. What did God do? Look in Genesis. This now, that was the introduction. Now we're to Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, our text. And verse 21, it says, interesting verse, maybe an unlikely verse for a message. Unto Adam also and his wife did the Lord God make coats of skin and clothe them. Most of you remember the story that when Adam and Eve sinned, they became self-aware aware of their nakedness. Before that, they were not aware of their nakedness, just like your dog's not aware of it, your cat's not aware of it, your, the monkeys aren't aware of it. They're not embarrassed about any of that. But man became self-aware. And they, and they, like men, have done from then to now, tried to somehow cover their sin by their own ingenuity and work. So they went and they found some, I don't know, it says, you know, tradition says fig leaves. I I, I don't know. I say that anything that they sewed on would have been bigger than on Fort Myers Beach. But they covered themselves in leaves. And you know the nature of leaves is to get brittle, to shrink, to fall off. So it was a poor, poor covering. Maybe the saddest words that ever happened was when God in it cool the evening, which was frequenting, and they evidently met together in a cool and fellowship and walked together. And he said, Adam, Adam, where art thou? Now, he knew where they were. But he wanted them to know that he loved them. And he cared for them. Even though they had rebelled and sinned directly against him. But it's interesting here in this verse here that God made them coats of skins. Notice that. And he clothed them. This is the first recorded death in history. 
up to this time, there had been no physical death that we know of. God had made everything, and everything he made, he said, it is good, it is very good. Now, most of you mamas who, I mean, you don't make babies, but you have them, and you're very closely related to them. I mean, we men do have something to do with this, but you wouldn't know it. But anyway, we're out rabbit hunting when you're having your baby or fishing when you're having your baby, but nevertheless, God who made these things, who his thought designed, have you ever looked at the animals and thought about how God had to think about it? As an engineer, he designed the rabbit that when the rabbit gets nervous, the little white tail comes up. And when it's not nervous, the tail's down. The white-tailed deer, which most, most deer hunters, all they ever see of a deer is the white tail. And, and I mean, God designed the deer to lose their horns and then to get their horns and then to rub their horns free of that mossy stuff on the outside of them so hunters can detect where they're at by what they call a rub. But I mean, all of those things, God in his, in his, in his wisdom and who he is designed all of those things. And he's the, he's the uh, heavens declare the glory of God, the, the firmament showeth forth his, his handiwork. Architect of everything we see and even the things we don't see. Visible thing, ultraviolet light. Some of the things that are there, but we don't even know them because we don't have the ability to see them with our natural eye. Sounds that dogs can hear that you can't hear. They're there, but you don't hear them. And boy, the older I get, sounds that most people can hear that I cannot hear. I've lost the crickets. I've lost the tree frogs. I've lost many of the birds. I've lost my wife's voice. Not everything's bad. first recorded death is God doing it. The first recorded death is God doing it. Amazing to me is he sheds the first blood. He sheds the first blood. Does God love you? In the condition of Adam and Eve, God could have zapped them off and been gone and done with it, but, but, but he loved them enough where he killed what he had made. To give, and the interesting, the word cover means to atone. The word atonement can be translated to cover. And so God, with the death and the shedding of that blood, was the first, it was the first animal which shed their blood for man, and it was the first substitutionary death recorded in the Bible for man. Because not only did he shed the blood of that animal, but he took the skin of the animal and covered man's nakedness so that he wouldn't be shamefully walking around and, and you know, walking around like, you know, he could actually get out, speak to God without being embarrassed, as he was now self-aware. It was the first act of foreshadowing. I like the verse in John 1, man, when Jesus meets John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist was a wonderful man, wonderful man. First of all, he was a Baptist. Wasn't John the Presbyterian, John the Episcopalian. It was John the Baptist. Humor me. 
John the Baptist was a righteous man. He was an honest man. He wasn't a perfect man, but he was an honest man. He lived, wanted to serve God. John the Baptist meets the one who he had been preaching about and he had been baptizing people, saying there's one coming after me and I'm not worthy to bend down and even tie his shoe. He's the one that's going to ba baptize you with water, but he's the one that's going to baptize you with fire and with the Holy Ghost. Woo! And he sees him on the bank of the Jordan and through the Holy Spirit's filling, he looks at him and I believe points that old that old uh, knob, knobby little finger. How do I know that? He was a Baptist. And he pointed that old knobby finger at him and he said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Now we don't know what kind of animal it was that God slew. We don't know. But we preachers would like to believe that the animal in which God slew in Genesis chapter 3 verse 21 was a lamb. Woo! Would that make some connectivity there? I don't know what it was. I know wool makes good clothing, amen? Wool is warm even if it's wet. You can get something soaked with wool. Soak it. We used to, when we boated, we had first aid on the boat in case we, we spent nights out there, you know, and weeks out there. And we, we, had, we had wool, World War II green wool blankets. Some of you old soldiers know what I'm talking about. The old green army blankets. And they were all wool. And you could take them and dip them in the salt water and put them on, and you'd get warm. You'd get warm. But now you can't do that with anything else. Cotton won't do that. Nylon won't do that. Polyester won't do that. But wool will do that. It just, it just makes sense to me that God slew a lamb foreshadowing the lamb, not only the lamb of God, but then from Moses in 1446 and on, or 1406 B.C., all the way to Christ, the lambs by the thousands were slain and, and shed their blood and shed their blood and shed their blood as foreshadowing the one that would come as the Lamb of God and shed His blood once for all. Jesus Christ, according to the Bible, shed His blood once for all. That's why we don't believe in communion, the, the, the uh, communion becoming the blood and becoming the body, because that would require Christ's blood to be shed over and over and over and over. And the Bible is clear without doubt in the book of Hebrews that it was once shed for all. And it makes sense because of the importance of it. First Peter 2.24 says, who shed, who his own self, that's Jesus, bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live under righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. In Hebrews 9.28 it says, So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8 it says, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In Romans chapter 3, 8, verse 32, excuse me, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. Jesus Christ eventually was the one and the only sacrifice that was a once-for-all sacrifice. And that killing of that animal by God himself, by God the Father, I believe, there to clothe them was, was, the, was the beginning of a long trail of blood that had to be shed in preparation, foreshadowing for that, old, that time when the, lamb, the Lamb of God, the only begotten Son, 
would be the lamb that would take upon the full thrust of the punishment that Adam and Eve and everybody that was born under Adam and Eve deserved, and he would take it for them. He would die for them. He would die in their place. He would be cursed for them. So that he could offer the gift of eternal life. Christmas is about gift giving. It is, isn't it? Why do Christians get so caught up in gift giving around this time of year? Because we are overcome with the gift that has been given us. I like what Bob Miller said in our teachers meeting this morning at 9.30. He says, why was I born in America? Why was I born to Christian parents? Why was I taken to a Bible-believing church? What a blessing. What a privilege. You could ask more than all of that. Why did Jesus die for me? Why did he love me so? Why does he care about me? And you know what? There's nobody can really answer that. All we can say, he does. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. Ephesians 5.2 says, And walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12, it says, Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. What is the gospel? It is Christ has died in your place. It's a done deal. It's settled. What a shame is it for people to miss that gift because they don't want to contemplate it or they don't want to face that they're a sinner unable to save themselves. They don't want to abandon their sin. Jesus said in John chapter 3, as clear as anywhere else in the whole Bible, men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil, and that's why they don't come to the light. That's why they don't receive the gift of eternal life. That's why they don't have appropriated their to their soul the blood of Jesus Christ is because they love their Whatever it is that the Spirit is convicting them of doing, whatever that is called sin in their life, they don't want to turn from it. I like to do this. It's like the old boy that used to work for me says, if I get saved, I have to quit going to honky-tonks. I said, I never told you that. He said, no, but anybody would know that. I'm like, come on, that's the Holy Spirit. My mom and dad got saved in their, in their living room. Pastor came over, explained the gospel that I've explained here. They said, We want that. They asked Jesus to be their Savior. They received the gift of eternal life. My mom immediately after after he left went over to the cupboard where she kept her cigarettes, grabbed the cigarettes, and threw them away. She immediately went into the refrigerator where they kept the beer and poured all of the beer and the stuff out. Now, that preacher had never said anything about those two things. But the Spirit of God was immediately convicting her of some things that were controlling and captivating her life that she just didn't feel were good things. 
Now, it took a lot more years to overcome the cussing. I think of Abraham in chapter 21, 22 of Genesis. Some of you Bible students more know this story well. What a story of, of Abraham only having one son and then God asking Abraham to sacrifice that only son. Have you ever seen a parallel between the father giving Jesus any clearer than, than Abraham giving Isaac? His, his, I mean, and he tells, he tells, he makes this statement and, and in, in chapter 22, verse 8, and Abraham said, because the kid, Isaac, says, well, where's, we got the wood, we got the fire, but where's the sacrifice? I mean, he wasn't no dummy. And Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb. Now, how would you read that? God will provide himself. Jesus Christ left the beauties of glory and the whatever that means and whatever that entails to come upon this old wicked world, walk among wicked men, uh, smell what they smelled, eat the, eat the food, watch the flies uh, land on his meat before you eat it. Because in the third world, a lot of times you can't get a piece of meat out here without a hundred flies jumping on it. You got to go like this and put it in your mouth real quick and you know what flies do when they land on meat, don't you? They spit up on it. One day I read an article how many bugs I've eaten. I don't mind eating them. I just don't want to see them. I don't want to be the guy that takes a bite out of a hamburger and finds the other half of the roach. Still wiggling. One day I'm going down the road. This is the truth for as, as much as I know to be the truth, so help me God. I'm going down the road. I always kept, always keep water in my truck. Most, I never put the lid on it years ago. Never put the lid on the water. It was a bottle of water, clear bottle of water. I was going down the road busy, talking on the phone, probably talking to Brother Moon how to solve some problems. And I reached up there and took a big swig of the water, put it down, and I felt something over, under, under about right there. And I, I never felt anything like that before. And I thought, that's, that's strange. And I opened my mouth. All I did was go. It crawled out on the side of my face. It was one of them palmetto bugs about that big. It crawled. It was scared as I was. It crawled out on the outside of my face. How I kept from getting in an accident, I have no idea. But, buddy, I hit the brakes and pulled over and it started spitting. Just spit and spit and spit and spit and spit. But you know what? It didn't hurt me, ultimately. And what was crazy about that is before I fell in, I washed, was washing my teeth with the water. I was going, so I washed him real good. Hopefully nobody's sleeping now. Isaiah. Abraham was about 2166 B.C. God shall offer himself a lamb. Isaiah, about 700 years B.C., says, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. 
Yet we did esteem him smitten, stricken of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace is upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Why would you miss that? Why? What value of anything we have here in the world would cause you to reject Jesus Christ as your Savior? What sin do you do that's so pleasurable that would cause you to spend eternity in a place called the lake of fire paying for your own sin? Because that's what has to happen. Because God is just, all sin must be paid for. Either you will allow Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, to pay for it uh, as he did on that old rugged cross, or you will stand before Jesus who paid for your sin from the foundation of the world and gave himself for you and left the glories of God and you will stand before him and have to answer for your sin. And the full wrath of God that came upon him will now come upon you and you will be cast into the lake of fire. Whosoever was not found written in the book of life, the Bible says, was cast in the lake of fire. I'm not making this up. This is biblical. It's true. You can look it up. You can find it all. But because you one day realized you were a sinner unable to save yourself and asked Jesus with a true heart, the Bible says all thine heart, to be your Savior and Lord. And you're willing to turn from whatever he asks you to turn from. See, a real Christian, I don't believe, is sitting there picking and choosing. I believe that you come to Christ at that moment of salvation, you're willing to move. The Bible says repentance. Jesus said, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. And what is repentance beside nothing more than a change of mind? I was going this way. I've decided by the grace of God not to continue in my own sin, in my own life, in my own way. I heard about the gospel. I decided to go Jesus' way. I turned around and I went to Jesus and his will. And it's a growth period. Sure, it's a growth time, but the actual birth part, is when your will meets God. We're now in Christ. I like Philippians 3, 9 where it says, and be found in Him, not having mine own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. What's wild about salvation is not only Am I saved by His work and by His effort and by His mercy and by His grace? Once I'm saved, He makes me stand in His righteousness. I don't have any of my own righteousness, but now, as a born-again believer, I stand in His righteousness. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. I wonder how He could love me. A sinner condemned unclean. 
The old song by Fanny Crosby says, My song shall be of Jesus. His mercy crown my days. He fills my cup with blessing and tunes my heart to praise. My song shall be of Jesus, the precious Lamb of God, who gave himself my ransom and bought me with his blood. Are you, like Adam and Eve, standing naked before God, dressed in your own righteousness, inadequate and unable to cover you the way you should? That someday we'll have to stand, having rejected Jesus Christ's gift of eternal life. The Bible says, for by grace are you saved. That's, That's just the mercy. That's unmerited favor. For by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourselves, the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. There ain't going to be one Baptist in heaven that's going to get in there and say, I made it! I did it! There will be one. The, the right answer to that would be, He did it. Glory to Jesus Christ. The Bible says it this way, and Corinthians says, No flesh will glory in His presence. No flesh. Will glory in his presence. There's not going to be anybody there saying, Ooh, going to be, we're going to be, we'll be falling at his feet, thanking Jesus for I don't know how many years, or I don't know how much time, but we'll be before Jesus thanking him, thanking him. Just like Brother Bob had him a little spell this morning in teacher's meeting, had a little spell of gratitude. He got thinking about, I was born in America. I was born to Christian parents. I was able to go to church. Well, that's enough, Brother Bob, to run around a little bit. Whew. Where are you at? Are you naked before him? Is Jesus' gift a gift for you? It's free, though it costs him everything. Repent of your sins today and say, yes, Jesus. I'm a sinner unable to save myself, and I I ask you to be my Savior. Do with all your heart. God's not conned. God's not conned. It has to be with total sincerity. It has to be real. But if you'll do it, God wants to save you. The Bible says being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. Why don't you, be, why don't you get born from above this morning? What's Christmas about? It's not just about going and doing good for people, which is part, which is great, or going and giving gifts to people, which is wonderful. It's not about just a celebration of life. It's not just about happy socks. It's about Jesus who gave his life for me that I can have eternal life. Woo! Father, help us this morning to see it, maybe like we've never seen it before. Could you save somebody through this or maybe the Internet or wherever this goes? And God save some folks that they may know what it means to be born from heaven, born above. And Father, help those who are struggling to earn their way or to be good enough, give it up and to throw themselves on the the feet of Jesus and say, I'm not good enough. I don't deserve it. I cannot earn it. I just ask you that you have mercy on me. The old boy, the old publican cheated people out of their taxes and had been a scoundrel, went into the temple, the Bible says, and he couldn't even lift his head up towards heaven. He's ashamed of himself, beat his chest, 
saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus told his disciples that man went to his house justified. If you trust in yourself, you're not going to make it. If you'll trust in Jesus Christ and his righteousness, you will. And it'll be past what your imagination can, can put together. What God has prepared for them that love him. Father, now take this in your power and in your way. In Jesus' name, amen.